yogic life as a lifestyle. With everything, uh, at least the way I teach, you must listen really, really carefully and dissect each word. You know, um, every teacher is different, you know, uh, and they uh, each teacher demands different things from you. Is someone coming through the door? This is B or A for me. This is B. I'll hear you. Okay, thank you. Yeah. That's cables for the iPhone. The cable broke. There's two, there's three great paths. There's many, many, many paths. One is jnana, one is bhakti, one is karma. Those are sort of the things that, of course, there's many, there's raja and many, many other others. But uh, the jnana yoga is the yoga of discrimination. That means to be able to very deeply and very clearly understand uh, what you hear and to reflect very deeply, to sort of tease out the meaning. Um, the other is, is, is uh, bhakti yoga. Bhakti yoga is the yoga of devotion, the, the yoga of the, the native love in your heart. Not, not the love that you have in your head right now, but the native love of your heart. Just like when a mother sees her child just born, or the father sees the just born child, the, the, the parent is not thinking. There's just a native love there, a native attachment there. Um, you know, they're, not, they're not thinking, it's just a direct uh, feeling. And that direct feeling goes to the heart and it comes from the soul. It's, it's an expansion of unity. You've just moved from self to greater self. You know, your, your world has just expanded. And then the, there's the path of karma yoga. Karma yoga is loving, intelligent action. That's what, that's what karma yoga is. It's, it, like you have a lot of people who will study jnana yoga and they sit and they philosophize and they do nothing. They do absolutely nothing. You know, I call them armchair yogis. They sit in a chair all day and talk, but they accomplish absolutely nothing. They accomplish nothing for themselves and they accomplish nothing for others. But in, in genuine karma yoga, uh, something as simple as helping another person put a smile on their face or as grand as feeding 100,000 orphans. From large to small, it's all considered karma yoga and it's all beneficial. See? So those are the, the, the three types of yogas that uh, I really press. And um, I, I really press that people use their uh, intelligence. You, know, you must think. 
you must question, uh, you must um, dissect. You know, I have uh, very little patience for stupidity. You know, innocent ignorance, no problem. Stupidity is another issue. I have little to no pr uh, patience for that. Um, we have more people coming through the door. Oh, the married couple, the newly married couple. Ram Krishna, Ram Krishna, welcome. Uh, congratulations. Welcome, welcome, welcome. <laughs> oh my, you have such wonderful things on the floor. Uh, very good to see. There's three forms of yoga that I, that I press people to uh, really uh, invest themselves in. One is jnana yoga, the yoga of discrimination. When, it, when I say discrimination, I mean to deeply understand what's in front of you. you know, to, de to deeply investigate. That, that's the path of jnana yoga. The path of bhakti yoga is, is the path of genuine love. Not, not psychological love, which is what most people are practicing, but a, your genuine native love. Just like if you first see your child, you don't think, there's just a sense of love. Or if you go to a, a, a vast nature reserve and see the, the beauty of it, there's just a natural affinity towards it. You know, that's all genuine bhakti. When it, it bypasses your thought process and there's just a, a native appreciation. You know, like, wow, this must be something of God. You know, wow, this is, a, this is, a, this is true beauty. <clears throat> Uh, that that's bhakti bhakti yoga, and it 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 takes a bit of time uh, to to apply bhakti yoga to the concept of God, because unfortunately the concept of God has been processed through our minds so much that what God is has been greatly diminished. It's been it's been diminished by your culture. It's been diminished by your teachers. It's been diminished by your own inadequacies it's been diminished by your own lack of imagination <laughs> you know so you have to understand when you say God you mean one thing when the teacher says God he means something completely different you know when, when real Dharma teachers talk about God they're talking about an infinite beatitude an infinite gracious you know intelligent creative beatitude when the average person thinks about God they think about God in a box what your mother your brother your sister your friend told you you know and, and your own personal confusions so this this whole thing of God really is a process of discovery and also it's a process of, of deconstructing what you thought see what everybody told you it's, there's a difference between your assumptions and fact. Assumptions are assumptions. They're not a fact until you prove it. So you, you have to understand that your, your concept of God is a, is a collection of assumptions. You, know, you read the Old Testament and you get one assumption. You read another, the New Testament, you get another assumption. You talk to your friends, you get another assumption. So 
you're just a collection of assumptions. But understand, none of what you have in, in terms of your concept of God is a fact. See? The, in, in, the, in the yogic or mystical life, uh, we're not that interested in assumptions. We're interested in, in facts. So, if you're interested in facts, you have to first realize that you don't know. That is like the absolute most intelligent statement you can make. You know, if you want to be like instant friends with me, say you don't know. Because at that point, I know this is an honest person. You know, but a, a very good, uh, many, 30 years ago, uh, I was meeting with a Swami in San Francisco. And we were discussing uh, some, some religious uh, ideas. And I was posing some question. And she said, you know, I really don't know. That second, we became the best of friends. You know, and it was because, you know, a lot of times if you put on robes, you want to make, you want to, you want to project like, I know this and I know that and I know everything. But the moment she said, I don't know, I realized this is an honest person. You know, I can actually have a conversation with this person. You know, none of us know everything. All of us are, are, are in the process of discovery. So to me, that is the most fundamental, honest statement a person can make, is I don't know. <laughs> you know at that point, you have an intelligent place to start. You're not, you're not starting based on assumptions. You're starting on a basis of, I don't know, let's take a look. You know, to me, like that, that is so thoroughly refresh, refreshing to hear someone say, let's take an honest look and, and just not pile on a bunch of assumptions as to what we think things are. Let's just take a look and find out for ourselves. In, in the yogic process, all of, the, all of the practices that you do, and there's infinite amount of practices that you can engage in, all of them lead you one way or the other to a process called revelation. Revelation is a, a condition of direct knowing. See? It, it, it goes beyond analysis. It goes beyond assumption. It goes beyond uh, mechanical inquiry. It's, it's a direct intuitive process. And in general, all of us as human beings, we use intellectual and psychological processes to know things. And, and we generally, and also instinctual knowledge, you know, like if a bear comes, generally we head the other way. <laughs> that's instinctual. You know, hungry bear, head the other way. So that's, that's sort of instinctual knowledge. <coughs> you know, python, head the other way. You know, <laughs> no one had to teach you to, to, to stay clear of it. Or walk, even if you take a, a baby to an edge of a cliff, it'll start to cry. It's an instinctual knowledge. It doesn't want to fall. So, um, but this, this process of, 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 of revelation draws upon a higher facility within, within our, within our uh, toolbox of facilities. Like we have 
instinctual intelligence, we have emotional intelligence, we have intellectual intelligence. Those are all intelligences that, that we're commonly familiar with. But you also have what's called a intu intuitional intelligence. And when, when yogis use the word intuitional, we're not talking about the common idea of, of intuition, like, oh, I have a feeling, and you know, maybe this, maybe that, no. In, in the yogic uh, language, when we say intuition, it's actually a, a psychic facility that is buried deep within the, in, in the anatomy of the human condition, of, a facility of direct knowing. Just like you have intelligence, and you have emotional intelligence, you have instinctual intelligence, there's another intelligence there. All of your yogic practices are trying to uh, build you up and tune you up so that you can take a leap. Just like evolutionarily, do you think in a thousand years we're going to have the same level of intellectual and emotional facility as we have now? No. In a thousand years we should have advanced. You know, we're not cavemen anymore. We're not Luddites throwing stones at one another. So the human condition evolved. And within that evolution, other facilities came on board. You know, like the, the average uh, early Neolithic man, you know, didn't, wasn't thinking all that high. You know, they weren't creating planes and computers and, and you know, all the inventions. You know, they were working with stones and branches. And slowly as they evolved, their intellectual capacity came online. You know, and their their heart developed, and they, their social capacity came online. So they were working primarily on uh, instinctual basis. So a thousand or ten thousand years, hopefully, we won't be throwing rocks at each other like we are now. We're just throwing bigger rocks now. So you have that that facility of in, intuition buried within you. Um, that under a certain set of conditions. Start, will come online and then you'll start to live with it just like you live with your heart and your mind and your instincts that that intuitional facility will come will come to you the, the higher the higher Dharma teachers have that aspect alive in them that's how come they can communicate with so many people so easily and they can uh, understand your problems so easily because it, it's it's not that they're figuring out the, the knowledge is actually being presented to them, see? So it, it, that, that level of intuitional uh, 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 psychic capacity is simply come online. And then as they stabilize it, it becomes stable. So, in the yoga process, we, we want to take all of our facilities and focus on, on this idea of what is God. And then to go through that process of revelation, 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 revelation. Um, and to come to a place of, I don't know. The most important place to stand is to say, I don't know. You know? So, in, in that process, you know, the, the yoga teachers are saying, you know, uh, do these asan, eat this food, uh, chant this mantra do this kind of meditation. All of these things 
or forms of cultivation. If they're telling you to do particular breathing patterns and hatha yoga and food, they're trying to culture your uh, your physical being and your nervous system. You know, if they're saying chant this mantra, do these prayers, they're trying to cultivate your heart. You know, if they say do this meditation or these types of meditations, they're trying to cultivate your your mind. Because at, if when you finally can go higher, this psychic ability that will slowly uh, open up to you takes a lot of a lot of energy. You know? And if your physical body is is all messed up, it doesn't work out right. <laughs> you know, if your heart is not working right, it doesn't work out right. If 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 your brains are all whacked out, you know, you, you, it's full of stupidity. It doesn't work out right. <laughs> you know, the you you have to have these three cultivations first, so that when this higher facility comes online, uh, everything, because that higher facility informs your physicality, it informs your heart, it informs your mind. So you sort of have to get everything in order. So when you start to get this download of information, everything works smoothly. You, you, you don't, uh, you don't uh, develop any physical problems or emotional problems or mental problems. You know, this, this insight into the nature of God is, is, is uh, such an uh, unbelievable revelation. It, not even God itself, just even approaching God. There's so many unbelievable revelations that it's sort of like, you know, running 10,000 volts, you know, through a three-watt fuse. Of course it's going to burn out. That's why the teachers want you to gather, you know, good physical health and a, and a healthy nervous system, a healthy heart and a healthy mind, so that when this current starts to flow through you, you don't burn out. You don't... You don't uh, overload so that's why there's a very systematic upgrade 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 uh, that you learn so if they say do hatha yoga even though like I'm not a I'm not a hatha yogi although I know a whole lot about hatha yoga why because I know it's very very valuable for the future it's it's it, it creates a condition where you can take higher levels of energy and not have problems about it you know, if sometimes if the energy comes too fast, you know, it can imbalance the, the pranas in the body and you'll have physical problems or it can unbalance your emotional life, you're going to have problems. It can unbalance your mind, you're going to have problems. You, you have to have a way of assimilating these higher energies so that you can, you can uh, mature in an intelligent, uh, systematic way. You know, you know, you don't want to jump into another dimensional reality unprepared. You know, that will definitely freak you out. <laughs> you're not ready for that. You know, if, if, if all of your life you've seen three dimensions and now you're seeing six, a little hard to digest. Do you have any thoughts and questions? You know, if you say that God is infinite and unlimited, why do you think it's that 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 reality exists just in three dimensions? Why would you ever make that assumption? Why would you make the assumption that this is just it? 
why would you ever make when you're talking about infinite intelligence, infinite creative intelligence? Why would you think this is just it? <laughs> it's absurd. This is this is just one infinitesimal spot, one tiny, tiny, tiny dot in creation. This tiny dot is creative and intelligent, and the rest of it is creative intelligence. <laughs> See. So if a mother has a baby, it created another human being. So that if you had that infinite intelligence, you know, create, well, it created something like itself. You know, we're just like infinitely juvenile. So that's why we can have violence and throw stones at each other. But if, if, if you're, if you sort of had that, uh, revelation of uh, of infinite oneness at that point who's your enemy who are you going to throw a stone at <laughs> see if, if you found there's a an inextricable unity between all of life not just all of humanity all of life you know what would you seek to destroy whom would you seek to destroy whom would be your enemy See? So uh, as you as you move in this this path of uh, revelation, less and less enemies. See that that just starts to go down, go down, go down, go down, go down. You know, and, and, until you realize, you know, people may be behaving badly, but you have no enemies. And, and then, you, you people who are behaving badly and doing cruel things. Your insight becomes, before they were bad, wicked enemies, and now we realize they're just very, very, very mentally disturbed. So you, you start to see them as mental patients as opposed to enemies. You know, an enemy you try to put down and lock up. A mental patient you try to treat and heal. See? So you're... you're your approach to life becomes a healing path as opposed to a path of, of suppression. See? We're, all the cruel beings, we're trying to suppress them, lock them up, corral them. But as you grow in your path of yoga, you're looking for therapies for them. You know, ways of uh, uh, un unleashing their sorrow in an intelligent way and, and trying to show them their true face. If someone is behaving badly, it's because they have a, a di distorted view of the world. They have a distorted view of themselves and they have a distorted view of the world. And as a yogi becomes, as a person becomes a yogi, they intrinsically become a healer. And what they're simply trying to do is show people their true, truer, deeper face. See, so as as you practice meditation, you're you're not trying to see all the stuff that you've created in your mind. You're you're trying to say who and what am I really, not what have I been told, what have I assembled in my in in my inquiry, but what is my native reality? Before anybody told me anything, you know, before I heard anything. Or saw anything. What what is my native reality? See? 
that that native reality comes through meditation and and the revelation process in, in meditation it also can come through prayer or mantra if you if you practice prayer intelligently and deeply or if you practice mantra relentlessly mantra makes everything like itself uh, mantra is inherently an energy of god manifest in the in syllables in in the verbiage and the the, the mantra simply it's it's a, it's a it's like a ray of the energy of god and we have all this all these other energies of god where we just put ideas and words together in our minds but it's not based on the truth it's it's based on assumptions but mantra burns everything up so as it's burning up all of your assumptions you start to have the process of revelation <laughs> see all the stuff in your mind and heart that were assumptions that were happened many most of which are not correct assumptions the mantra burns that stuff up so in the process of relentless practice of mantra um, you, you go from revelation to revelation to revelation and then sometimes people will say well I have this mantra Om Shidama or Chai Bhagavan Om Namah Shivaya I don't know what it really means or it can't really work well that's not true mantra has its own physics whether you understand it or not just like I have no idea of the physics of fire but if I stick my finger in it it burns me all the you know I get burned I have no idea of the physics but it still has its function I you know you don't have to understand the physics of mantra it still has its function See? <laughs> so we have to acquire some kind of a intelligent faith so in the beginning with faith first we have faith in our parents because we don't know any better and, and then we have faith in our teachers again because we don't know any better we think well they're study they know more than me no they're just a bunch of human beings just like us they're just as ignorant as us our parents are just as ignorant as us our teachers are just as ignorant they're just a bunch of human beings so you say okay well okay my, my parents were the first and now then my teachers and then as you get older you think think okay well okay the, 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 the people who are professionals they must know more and then we think well, okay the doctors they must know more and then we think oh the philosophers well they must know more while we're saying all that stuff and we're following the different philosophers and we're following the different writers and the various psychologists thinking that they must know more when we really we heard to really stop saying wait they're just a bunch of people also they're just a bunch of people it, it's only so you get to the point of going through that whole list of people to start saying well you know the saints maybe they know something well the, the, one of the criterias of, of trying to figure out who knows something is you ask yourself a very simple question who has had the most long-lasting beneficial effect on humanity <laughs> who has had the most long-lasting and beneficial effect on humanity it's not the it's not the doctors it's not the psychologists it's not your parents it's not your teachers it's not the professionals you start looking at the saints and you start looking at the masters you know 
Why? Because those are the only beings that are entered the process of revelation. They've entered the process of direct knowing. Everybody else is, is on intellectualism, on logic, on assumption. That's what they're based on. You know? But it's the saints and it's the masters who have actually entered into that higher facility, that direct intuitional knowledge. And they, uh, they are entered into the process of, of revelation. So, as per your culture and as per your disposition, you, you, you start to say, okay. I mean, of course the philosophers have had a, an, an important, uh, an important uh, contribution. But still, they're, they're just trying a little bit harder. And, and, and you've got philosophers that have something really valuable to say, and some philosophers that are very destructive. But it's the saints that are saying, you know, live together, love, with, love one another, don't harm one another, you know, think deeply, enter into the silence. You know, the, the, the saints are basically all on the same page. They may be saying it in a culturally different way. But they're all on the same page about trying to have a peaceful, loving existence based on a deeper reality. So all the saints, one way or the other, are involved in a very, very deep form of contemplation, prayer, meditation. Or you can go across the world and you'll find the saints going into the wilderness. You know, you'll find the saints saying prayers. You'll find the saints you know, doing sacred utterance. And, and coming out with a, a message of, uh, of of peace and love within oneself and amongst your your society. That level, that message of peace and love is is based on revelation. <laughs> See, they 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 all come to the same plateau and have the same vision. As we're as human beings, we're all standing at different, you know gradations uh, at different altitudes in a way so we all have different visions you're standing here I'm standing there so we're looking at the same thing but because you're standing here and I'm standing here we have a different vision a different perspective all the saints and the masters they've reached a certain plateau where they're acting having the same vision you know if you ask you know ten people one question you're gonna have a variant of answers or 10,000 people, you're going to have a variant of answers for, for variant reasons. Even if they say the same thing, they're going to have different reasons for saying that same thing. <laughs> but if you get to this higher plateau, all the saints are saying the same thing for the same reasons. <laughs> See, there's, there's a continuity in, 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 their, in their revelation, in, in their experience. So, as... Uh, as people who are human beings you want to say I want to know what they know I want to see what they see see that's always been my premise you, you know like when Lord Krishna or Jesus or Buddha looked into the world what did they see you know certainly not what I see now who's the better they're certainly my better so what they see is superior to what I see. They're looking at it from this point of view. I'm looking at it from this point of view. You know, 
they are obviously my better. So we have to have that kind of humility to realize they are obviously our better. And to have the sort of the zeal in your belly to say, I would like to see what they see. I would like to see through the eyes of Jesus. I'd like to see through the eyes of Buddha. I would like to see through the eyes of Krishna. You know? And to try to fulfill that, that revelation. That life. You know, why did Buddha live the way he lived? Or Jesus lived the way he lived? Or Krishna lived the way they lived? They, they were all these cosmic boons to society, to humanity. You know, the, the gospels that they gave were gospels of liberation, gospels of freedom, gospels of the highest humanity. See? Can we say that we're fulfilling that? There, those, those souls actually were fulfilling that. You know, we look up and say, well, it's there somewhere. So this whole process of yoga is about, you know, fulfilling the gospels that the great masters and the great saints have witnessed so that we become an embodiment, just like they became an embodiment of what they witnessed. These great souls saw the glory of God. And then they wanted to become an embodiment or fulfill that glory in the earth. See? So that, that's, ultimately, that's ultimately the mission of every human being. That's why every human being is seeking. I don't care the highest, the lowest, you know, the, 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 the most feeble-minded to the greatest brilliance. Everybody is seeking. Everybody is seeking. And it, it, it's, it's that revelation that everybody is seeking. So first we, we look through it through, you know, through sex, and we look through it through food, and we look through it through adventure, you know, we look through it through family, you know, and friends, you know, we're all this trying to seek this uh, wholeness, this sense of perfect fulfillment. Everybody's seeking. You know, why do boys and girls get together? Because they're seeking wholeness. One way or the other, they're seeking wholeness. See? So, that, that uh, seeking that we all, that native seeking that we all have is like a uh, a constant beacon that makes us all restless one way or the other and what we are seeking is that that uh, that revelation that that vision of, of the beatitude that's what we're all seeking so in, in order to uh, you know uh, acquire this type of vision this type of experience you, you have to be very fundamental just like a b c d don't try to start at z you know start at a you know have have a logical beginning in, in having that kind of logical beginning we just have to get our life we, we have to understand the importance of a lifestyle <coughs> You know, everybody in the room, we all have a lifestyle. Whether it was conscious or unconscious, we've all constructed a lifestyle. We all have patterns that we live out and common perceptions that, that we hold as true. That's our lifestyle. How we live our life, how we think, our, our think and feel our way through the world. That is our lifestyle. You know, just like if you're a jock or you're an intellectual, or, you know, or you're an artist, you know, those are all lifestyles. Or if you're a homemaker, all lifestyles. Or a student, lifestyle. 
So we have to understand, we, we all have a lifestyle whether we thought about it or not. The, the, the key here is that we want to uh, slowly develop a lifestyle uh, that is genuine to, to our life, but is also trying to acquire a higher vision of life. You know, what is like, what is life really about? You know, what is this God thing I keep hearing about? It won't, that idea won't go away. So it's always in the atmosphere somewhere. What is that thing? So we, we have to try to slowly create a lifestyle that supports that inquiry. And if we call it a lifestyle, it has to be something that's constant in our life. If it's not constant in your life, it's not a lifestyle. See? It's an aberration. So, you, you, you start to read the scriptures because they're sort of like a road map uh, and, and a road map to that revelation. And also, you start in, in reading various scriptures and reading lives of saints and things like that, you start to say, okay, well, this person is on a journey. It's a very interesting journey, but you also ask questions like, well, who was that person historically? And also, what was their lifestyle? And what in their lifestyle can I sort of transfer to my lifestyle and make it work? You know, Just like if you, you determine, I'm gonna be a kinder person. Well, you're, you're, you're bringing in another energy into your lifestyle, or I'm not gonna lie, or you know, whatever it is, or whatever it is, or I'm, I'm gonna, Create gardens wherever I go. You know that. You know that's becoming who you are. So, so by studying these biographies and saints and and scriptures, you start to see, like, how did they live? How did they conduct themselves? Uh, what did they infuse into their environment? Th those are all like really fundamental things. Um, because what you infuse into your environment, you become like what you associate with. That is a fundamental concept. You become like what you associate with. So if you associate with a lot of music, you become musical. You associate with a lot of artists, you become artistic. You associate with a bunch of rogues, you become a thief. You know, you become like what you associate with. So, so you have to understand that if you want to have this vision of what did Jesus see or Buddha see or Krishna see when they looked into the world, you have to look at them and say, what elements did they bring into their personal lives that they lived with? Everything from the physical to the attitudinal. Um, what did they bring into their lives that made their lives uh, so substantial. See? And then, don't try to swallow a whale. Just take <laughs> bit by bit. <laughs> you know? Do one little thing. And then, until it becomes normal in your life. And then do another little thing until it becomes normal in his life. You know, don't try to swallow the whole gospel. <laughs> you know? Do it bit by bit. So that, so that it becomes part of you. And it becomes comfortable. Because if it's not comfortable, it's not working. You know, you're not going to do it. You know, so slowly, slowly, slowly start to alter your life. 
you know. And you start with very simple mechanical things, you know, that I'm gonna live a healthier life. Maybe you'll become a vegetarian. You know, maybe. You don't have to, but maybe. You know, or I'm gonna you know, if I'm not gonna become a vegetarian, I'm gonna donate donate twenty bucks a, a month to some organization who is being kind to animals. You know, so that you you, you, you want to exercise some kind of physical kindness, you know. You, you, you start slow. You do little things, you know. It's sort of like character building. You're building up who you want to be. So, or or you, you put images of saints and sanctity in, in your home. Like, how difficult is that? That's not too tough, guys. You know, it's not too tough. But I, I walk into most houses and I feel like I'm walking into a barren desert. Because the, all the stuff that they've got around is just superficial baloney, none of which leads to uh, a compassionate, hum, humane joy. There might be joys that are like, let's say someone has their, their best racing bike up on the wall. Well, that's cool. There's nothing the matter with that, but it's just about their pleasure. You know, their personal joy. As we're in this lifestyle, you want joy in your life, but you want a joy that radiates and helps others also. You know, the joy isn't limited to you. You're just part of the process of joy. You're part of the process of joy. You're not just a consumer. You're a manufacturer. <laughs> See? <laughs> you know, you're a generator. So the generator itself enjoys the joy it's generating. <laughs> See? So all yogis become generators, not just consumers. See, so if you walk into a house and it's just this sports memorabilia and stuff like that, that's very personal joy. But what are they doing for their neighbor? Who are they lifting? You know, what smile do they put on anybody's face other than their own? They're just consumers. So you want to try to generate a lifestyle that you're happy and joyous but not only are you happy and joyous your joyousness um is a generator of other people's joy you know you become a, a spark you know or a yeah like a generator you, you, you share it you, you share it you generate it so this is a type of lifestyle that that you slowly uh want to develop so if if your house doesn't demonstrate it you're not living it if your house doesn't demonstrate it you're not living it you know it's just an idea in your head you know your your house is is just a snapshot of you that's what it is everything in that house you put there everything in that house you know from the pictures or to the spoons you it's all tied to you you know, if if you go into a person's house as I have, and all their furniture is covered with plastic, you know, you know, it says a heck of a lot about that person. And there's not a book in the house. Well, they're obviously not intellectually curious, and they're trying to live a sanitized existence because they've got plastic on their furniture. You know, you know, you ask yourself, what kind of life is this person living? Is it is it, is there any reality going on there, or is it just like based on their their fears and their antiseptic vision of trying to protect themselves from germs and come on man you know go to go to india and see all the kids rolling in dirt with a big smile on their face you know they're generating joy and they're covered with dirt you know, 
areas where these people are miserable in their little sink, little houses, and all the furniture is covered with plastic. You know, not a book in the house. <laughs> so you have to understand that this is a snapshot of, of, of what you're about. You know, like we go to Julie's house, we'll see all this sewing stuff, and you know, you know very homey, sweet, you know, hobby she has. But it says something about her nature because people, just like gardeners have a particular nature. If you go to garden clubs, these people are nice people. They're sweet, you know, because they're doing something that's you know, really sweet and nice, and they're making, they're bringing beauty into the world. They don't just enjoy their garden. Everybody enjoys their garden. See? So you have to look at your own house and, and what you've injected into your house, you know, what the nature of your house is, you know, how much music is in your house, how much literature is in your house, how much art is in your house, you know, how much peace is in your house, how much fresh air is in your house, you know, how much light is in your house. You know, I'll be invited to homes. I was invited to one guy's apartment and he hadn't opened his windows in 20 years. And he told me he wanted to study yoga. I said, if you want to study yoga, do two things. First, open your windows and clean your house. That's your first lesson in yoga. Open your windows and clean your house. He hadn't gotten that. He hadn't figured that out. But that was his first lesson in yoga. You know? The air is dull and stamped. And, and I actually tried to open the windows. That's why I knew the windows hadn't been opened. All the windows were frozen shut. Not a window in his flat, flat opened. He hadn't opened his windows in 20 years. You know? And he wanted to practice yoga. So his first yoga was open your windows and clean your house. <laughs> you know, come on, get real. <laughs> so people don't think that this is yoga, but it is yoga. You know, yoga is, 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 is healthy. It's wholeness. It's kindness. It's, it's sharing. You know, it, it, it's, it's a group humanity. You know, if your floors are filthy and... Your couch is covered with plastic and your windows have never been open. Where's the yoga? Where is the yoga? There's nothing healthy about that. See, so you have to be very, very basic, very, very fundamental. Because it's a pyramid. You know, that's the foundation you stand on. You can build an illustrious house with a lousy foundation. Well, how long is that house going to last? You know, how long is that going to stand up? You know, it'll be tilted like this. And cracks everywhere. So... You know, just a humane, intelligent diet. Uh, uh, diet. You know, if if you're not humane to your own body, you're abusing your body with drugs and alcohol. Well, how the heck humane can you be to anybody else? If you have that much disrespect for your own body, how can you respect anybody else? For God's sakes, you know. If if, if you don't have a, a balanced, healthy love for this, what about that? <laughs> you know. See, it, it, it's intelligent. You, 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 you have to be very fundamental and slowly work your way up. And then you, you know, take a very careful look, a very careful, honest look at your own attitudes and say, you know, what's working for, for generating greater love and humanity and what's not working, you know? And think about it, you know, how am I generating love and humanity? And how am I not generating love and humanity? You know, you don't got to go put it on a billboard. Just be honest with yourself. Be really honest with yourself. And then incrementally start making your adjustments. See? 
Like people think, oh, I see Jesus, oh, I see the great masses, oh, I see the saints. Oh, I'll be, I'll be just like them, and I'll. They try to sit in meditation. Well, their house is filthy, their heart is filthy, their mind is filthy, and they think they can make this leap. You know, so so they're sitting in front of their friends, and they're going to the Zen place and the the yoga place, and they're sitting like this. Oh, give me a break. There's, none of the foundation has been done. Come on, get real. Take care of the basics first. You know, then you can sit like this. And they're, they're sitting like this, hoping that the pretty girls will look at them and say, "Oh, <laughs> good boy, I'll get next to him." You know, you know, you have to be really real about this stuff. So all all these basic foundational things you really have to do. And then you have to be really honest. Like some people will say, well, I don't give a dink what Jesus had to say. Be honest. Well, okay, so if, if that's your opinion, I don't have a problem with that opinion. So find some other find some other uh soul that you that you want to emulate. It, it could be a sports figure. But at least it's a step up from the gutter that you're sitting in. You know? And then eventually you'll get to saying, Oh, I admire Jesus, or I admire Buddha, or I admire Krishna. Maybe you don't. You know, maybe you're a, a, a rank, crass materialist. But, you know, find some materialist who's actually done something good and, and try to get, you know, do what he's done. You know, you know like, you got a guy like Bill Gates, a very intelligent man. You know, he was all about business, all about his craft, his, you know, of computers and such. He built a, a magnificent business. But once he, as he went through that process, he also grew his heart. Now he's doing humanitarian projects all over the world. But in his early days, it was just all about the machine, all about the business. And, you know, a very tough businessman. He, you know, he's, he's, not, he's not a waif here. He's a tough businessman. But he grew into this great humanitarian. So, you know, it's, it's, it's like wherever you are, find someone who's really significant in it and start to emulate them. You got to grow. You got to start somewhere. You know, if you're a rock today, try to be a diamond tomorrow. You know? So just wherever you are, find someone who's really mastered the craft and get at it. You know, and hopefully your heart will grow along the way. You know, everybody has a heart. You know, it's there. It's just a matter of bringing it online. Bringing it online. See? So... The message is, is to, to really examine your your day-to-day -day life and say, what can I bring into my life? What can I bring into my lifestyle that is uplifting, that is sharing, that is more than just about me? If your life is just about me, I'm just I'm going to tell you very straightly, just as one yogi speaking to a group of people, you're basically a savage. You might be. A, savage with a lot of money and a big house but you're just a savage if your life is just about you you're a savage the, the animals themselves have more dignity than you See? I'm, I'm just telling you a, a reality check here you know you, you were never meant to be that you were you were always meant to be expanding intelligent creative hu humane expansion that's why God gave you a heart you know? So, you just have to be real about where you are. 
and then and, and then start to incrementally take your next steps. If, if you're further along, then, then you say, well, okay, the, the saints and the philosophers have done something for humanity, and it's been a general net good. And then start studying them. Just, just you know, pick pick any of them, and and just say, what were they about? You know, what what was their? If you're looking at the saints in particular, you're looking about people who are going through a a fierce inquiry. You know, a, a fierce journey into what is real. You know, what what is the heart and substance of life? And they were working out their own personal journey, their own personal experiments with revelation. See? So each one of them will have a, a different experience because of the time and culture they existed in. But they all have some very common realities ab about their expansion and their vision of humanity. You know? So basically they were, they were the... Uh, the antiseptic being brought into their societies to purify their society. They're purifying themselves, but as they purified themselves, they were also purifying their society that they existed within. You know, they were giving people a hope of a greater reality, a greater freedom, a greater beauty, a greater humanity. They were all doing that through their own trials and tribulations and their own profound, fierce inquiry into what is this all about? What is the fundamental meaning of life? See? So, in this yoga process, you, you learn to interject uh, activities into your life uh, that are constantly purifying yourself, which makes you a better human being, which makes you more productive in your society. So, whether it's finding a favorite prayer and saying, you know what, I'm going to say that prayer three times every single day. See? Or practicing a particular mantra, or saying, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna learn the meaning of peace by practicing meditation, so that you can bring a peaceful heart into the world. But first, you gotta find it in yourself. If it's not here, it's not you're not gonna find it there. You know, everything here is is, is what's fun. This is your reality. What's in you? You know, and everything you see is based on this reality. <laughs> That's why every human being has a different point of view when they look out into the world. So you gotta, you gotta get, you gotta find something stable here. If you look at your primary emotions and and your instincts and your what's your thought process, is any of it stable? Not a bit of it. All of your feelings, all of your psyche, all of your instincts—they're always fluctuating. If they're always fluctuating and there's no stability, well, how can you really have a stable? existence in the world. You're fundamentally unstable. Every thought is changing, every feeling is changing, every instinct is changing. Sometimes it's activated, sometimes it's not. So we're always on shaky ground. Now how can you feel safe as a human being if you're psychically always on shaky ground? How is that possible? It's not possible. So we have to realize that fundamentally we always have a sense of fear. Because everything's always changing, and we don't know what's going to happen next. See, so there's always a quiet element of fear in everything that you do. Now, how can that be helping you? <laughs> Not so functional. So, now everything in you is not necessarily unstable. It's just like 99% of what you exercise is unstable. But if you can actually practice meditation correctly, you can actually find something stable. 
And and the, the reality of stability will, will manifest in the body. You'll understand what's stable there. You'll, you'll find what's stable in your heart. That's why I say the, the love of a yogi is not a psychological love. It's a native love. So if you can find through the practice of meditation, the practice of prayer, you'll find the native love. It means what you, what you started out with. In the beginning of infinity, in the beginning of time, what you started out with. Not all the creations and the, and the projections, but that native seed. That, 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 you can say a God seed in you, or, or a source seed in you, whatever you want to power, whatever nomenclature. It's there. But you have, to, you have to stop. You have to stop investing in all the things that are unstable to find what's stable. See? Right now, we're psychologically invested in the unstable. My thoughts are real. My feelings are real. My passions are real. Isn't that a really big investment in the unstable? Well, your passions, your thoughts, and your feelings change all the time. So why are you investing in that all the time? The reason you are is because no one told you to stop, to quit it, to find something stable. You know, what is your native stable love? What is that? You know, what is your native stable intelligence? What is that? You know, you only find those through the yogic practices, the inner practices that, that allow you to stop, see what is relative, and see what is permanent, and then to create an association with what's permanent. Because right now, all of our associations and all of our investment is what is impermanent. We've invested in what's unstable, what's impermanent. What's permanent? The whole yoga science is, is designed to help you find out what's stable. What's stable and what's permanent. You know, what is the heart of God? What, what is the vision of God? You know, if you look at the great saints, the Buddhas and the Krishnas and the Jesuses and all the many plethora of great, great souls, they're all basing their existence on the stable reality. What is true love? What is true intelligence? You know, that's what that that's what the basis of their life is. That's 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 where they come from. You know, so every human being has a Jesus, a Buddha, a Krishna in them. It's 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 not foreign. It's what we are. But because we've we've emphasized our own creation, our own psychic creation, that. The native reality of God is, is still a dream or a vision or a myth. And we've invested in our own personal creation. What I think, what I feel, what I've experienced. That's real. That's life. Is it really? Is it really? You know? I don't think so. <laughs> but, see, in order to, to come to this place, that means... You've got to quietly step back from your mother, your brother, your sister, your friend, who are all investing in their quiet realities, their creative, changing, moment-to-moment -moment realities. Nobody's saying, be still and enter the process of revelation. Who's telling you that? Your mother, your brother, your sister, your friend haven't said, mentioned that. <laughs> you know? So, real yoga is difficult. Because real yoga means real inquiry. And then 
a journey behind a journey beyond the conventional. See, a journey beyond the conventional. Now, who's telling you to do that? You know, all your buddies and girlfriends are telling you to come and do the conventional. Who's saying do the unconventional? You know, who's telling you to do the truly radical? You know, Jesus, Buddha, Krishna were super radical. Super radical. You know, who's saying get next to them? You know, why weren't there 10,000 people falling behind Jesus? Only 12. Because no one wanted to be super radical. You know, everybody said, you know, I'm good with the way things are. You know, it's not like Jesus was, you know, it's not like he wasn't walking through the cities and walking through the villages. He certainly was. He was certainly accessible. You know, people knew where he was staying. You know, but only 12 showed up. Why not 12,000? See? Because everybody wanted their reality. Not the reality. They wanted their reality. See? If you're looking at Jesus or Krishna or Buddha, you're talking about the reality. <coughs> the truth. Unqualified. We all have qualified <laughs> realities, you know, based on our experience and our intelligence and yes, what we exercise. So the, this path of yoga is, is a tough path because it's a path that pursues truth absolute, freedom absolute, you know. We all enjoy our forms of bondage, you know, whether it's, you know, the bondage of, okay, they're not the best friends, but I like them anyway. Or the bondage of food. You know, I know it's not good for me, but it's delicious. <laughs> so we maintain all these associations that are not, they, they're not really freedom. They're not freedom-based, but we enjoy it. <laughs> like I knew as a kid, there were some guys that were like a lot of fun to be with. But I know we're always going to get into trouble. I knew it. So eventually I just had to quit with these guys because, you know, I knew that it was going to get worse and worse and worse, but they were like really fun to be with. They, they were risk takers, you know, but I knew it would, it would, in the end it would be disastrous. So I said, God bless you guys. You guys are great. See you later. <laughs> you know, because you know, I, I either land up in prison or in jail or dead, you know, I was like, okay, guys, this was cool, but catch you later. <laughs> so you, you have to make those discriminations. So, you know, we, we all you have to understand we all have types of unconscious bondages that we enjoy you know I mean everybody's had a girlfriend or boyfriend that was really fun to be with but was miserable drove you crazy everybody's had that it was a bondage you know but you were there yeah I was there 18 months I was there two years I was in 10 years you know you know why you know you were caught in sort of a joyful bondage it was miserable but there's something keeping you there. So we have to understand that most people are not looking for freedom. We all have these sort of joyful or, or acceptable bondages. If it wasn't acceptable, we wouldn't be there. Well, he beats me, but I love him. Come on, girl, get out the door. You know, you know, you know. It's miserable, but they're, they're there for a reason, you know. So we have to say you know what is freedom you know what is real freedom and how do I interject that into my life you know what what can I do in my life that that uh, brings about a real freedom you know a sense of freedom so 
the, the yoga practices are, are fundamental to that. Because you can be in a prison and still be psychologically free. You know, even though everything around you is miserable, but you can still close your eyes and be free. See? So this is, this is the thing. The, the whole real yoga path is really another way of saying get real path. You know, what's really important? What do you really want? Because if you, you know, if you're saying, oh, he beats me, but I love him. Well, okay, that's your reality. You know, you chose that life. Nobody put you there. You chose it. You know, so we have to we have to be very real about how much do I really really want freedom? How much do I want real love? You know, not some psychological deficit that we call love. Real love. You know, when a when a mother sees her her newborn child, there's an instant real love. The, the mother's not asking for anything. Her very body will immediately give milk. You know, the, she didn't say, okay, my breast, okay, give lactate. No, no, no mother ever did that. She sees the baby in the minute she starts lactating. You know, there's, there's a, an instant love that, that bypasses all the psyche and just wants to nurture, wants to love, wants to fulfill, wants, you know, there's a beautiful dream growing right there. So we have to try to be ruthlessly honest as to what we really, really want. And then say, how do I build that into my life? How do I build that into my lifestyle? See? So the, the, the yogic path is a path of, of freedom. You don't have to give anything up, but you just have to give the attachment to things up. You know, you can still eat cake. You can still run with the boys. But you can also have the freedom to walk away at any moment. See? And do what you feel is for the best. You just don't go along with the herd. You know, the group is doing it, so I'm doing it. The group is eating it, so I'm eating it. No, you have to say, you know, you know, later on that. You know, I'm not I'm not with that. You have to maintain that that kind of independence. You know, and say, in my heart and mind, what is the the thing is always ask yourself, what is for the best? The question is not what is best for me. <coughs> the question is what is for the best see the moment you start asking yourself that question what is for the best that moment you put your path your foot on the path of yoga all the human beings are saying what's best for me you know emotionally physically in every way possible what's best for me but the yogi says what is for the best see it's a whole other psychological process to say in this situation what is for the best it may not always be physically best for you, but for the group, what is for the best? See? So, I mean, we, we're all social beings. We live in, a, in society. So why are you just feeding yourself and letting everybody else starve? You know, it doesn't make any sense. You know, if, if you can make sure that everyone is having a more wholesome, beneficial life, don't you think you benefit? You know, you live in a society where people are not starving or destitute or, or angry or criminalized. See? So every one of us in our own place where we are with our intelligence and with our history and with our facilities have to try to create what is for the best. Everybody does their bit. See, we all do our little bit. And if everyone's doing their bit, things will come together. We can't do everything, but we can do our bit. See, Jesus did his bit. You know, Buddha did his bit. And they've changed society. 
but we have to do our bit in order to make the society whole and, and healed. You know, we're, we're fractioned and we're afraid. Okay? So understand that the fundamentals of yoga are very, very important. And then as you, as you get your personal lifestyle together and that you, you put humanity in the center of your lifestyle, then, then you are living in the path of yoga. And then whatever your personal creation is, you know, like, you know, if Julie is sitting here knitting a sweater and she's a really, really good person, she has loving thoughts and kind thoughts and, and she, she, she wants to do something good for the world. Don't you think that vibration is going into whatever she's knitting? From a yogic perspective, definitely. Definitely. If a mother is cooking and she's got a good heart and a loving heart and she wants everyone to be well and nurtured, don't you think that energy is going into the food? Definitely. Definitely. See, everybody's got to do their bit, but it's, it starts with you, your reality. <coughs> See, what you're generating, you know? You don't want to eat food from an angry person. It's just going to make you sick. You know, you see that person cursing in the kitchen. Do you really want to eat that? I don't think so. That food has been polluted. It's, it's not fit. See? So, be, be ruthlessly honest about your life. And, and what is at the, ask yourself, what is at the center of my life? What is my primary motivator? What is my primary? Be real. See, that, that's why a lot of people don't like to get next to the yoga teachers. A real Dharma teacher, it's like getting next to a hot pot because they want you to be real. They're, they're going to make sure that you're rendered down to your essentials. Not all the baloney that you accrued, that you picked up. They want your essentials. So if you get next to them, it's like getting next to a hot pot that's rendering, rendering, rendering. That's why people run away from us. <laughs> Or only they only visit every now and then, you know, like that guy's too hot. Or you know, I'll keep my distance. I'll look at them from across the street. You know? <laughs> very common, very common. You know, only people who really, really, really want to get real get next to the yoga teachers. I'm, I'm talking about real yoga teachers, Dharma teachers. So this is this is about sorting your life out and, and finding what deeply has meaning to you, finding the absolute good in it, and then how what's deeply meaning to you that is fundamentally good can be generated. And then your life is based on generating that fundamental goodness. So some people it's music, some people it's craft, some people it's industry. But it's gotta be, it, it's gotta be meaningful to you and generating a good, <laughs> see? And that becomes your lifestyle, see? And, and that becomes genuine yoga. And then as you're living that out, then the teacher whispers, I'll do this mantra, I'll do this prayer, do this meditation. And then all of a sudden, all those higher energies can start flowing into you in a, in a balanced way, in a way that sort of lifts you up in a level way, not like, you know, neurotic. You know, we're not into craziness and neurotic. You know, you'll see some yoga schools doing really bizarre behaviors and stuff. And... and and, and uh, people think, oh, that's so exotic, it must be real. No, it's just nuts. It, it, it's just crazy stuff. You know, but people think because it's you know, weird and exotic and the teacher's looking, you know, that we think, oh, he must be in some high state. No, no, he's a crackpot. You know, he's a crackpot. It's a nutcase. You know, there are some great babas that do look weird. 
but what most of the human beings are practicing is just crass nonsense you know just just nonsense so this is the thing that we're we're talking about this yogic lifestyle to, to make it personal to make it real to make it based on real honesty and real humanity that's the thing real honesty and real humanity you know if you're lying to yourself where are you going where are you going with that and we can ask ourselves how many of our friends are just lying to themselves or, or living in joyful bondages, you know. Just look at our girlfriends and boyfriends and friends, you know. I mean, I have, I've had very close college buddies, alcohol, drugs, you know, lying. You know, one of my closest buddies, you know, he got into this habit of lying. I said, God bless you, you know, I love you, see you later. You know, how can I... You know, before I could trust any word out of your mouth. Now I can't trust one word out of your mouth. You know, it's like, God bless you, see you later. You know, I'm not going to support that bondage. You know, good luck with that. So we have to, we have to really be honest about ourselves. And we have to learn to acquire a type of autonomy where we can walk away from things. Like some of these people were very close college buddies. You know, they're great guys, but they... They got wrapped up in bondages that were completely self-destructive. You know, you know. I say come north. They say come south. They say see you later. You know, I'm not with that. So there's a, a very strong autonomy that you have to create. You're going to create your life. You know, you have to find the truth in your life, not go along with other people's bondages. You know, or everyone's had a boyfriend or a girlfriend that in some aspects was a lot of fun and other aspects was just a horror show. And we just have to say, I'm not with that. See you later. You know, that's, that's real autonomy. That's exercising a real freedom. You know, the, the freedom not to enter bondage. You know, or the freedom not to support stupidity or wickedness, you know, or madness, you know. So this is this is this is like a real discussion on what this yoga life is about. You know, real honesty, real integrity, uh, real autonomy, a real search in your humanity. See? That is yoga. A real search of humanity with ruthless honesty. You know, you have to figure to get into this planet, you weren't perfect. So there's stuff to work on. So just be real about it. We all got stuff to work on. You know, we didn't get here because we're perfect. We didn't just get dropped out of heaven. We got here because we got stuff. See, so get get busy. You know, you want to know how to work your stuff out? Forget the psychologists. Forget the philosophers. Go directly to the saints. They're, you, you, you want to follow a successful model, you know? Those are the guys who move beyond their passions, beyond their thought, beyond their conventional psychological heart to the process of direct revelation. You know, they're hearing the voice of God. They're seeing the light of God. They're, get, find those guys, you know, and get next to them. You know, first you'll get next to them through scriptures and, and uh, uh, studying of the lives of saints. And then you'll actually start to find them in humanity. The world will always have saints. They're, they're, they're always, always here. The question is, 
have you desired it enough to magnify yourself or to attune yourself to those souls? Once you really, really, really want it, heaven's going to make sure you have an opportunity to find it. You know, it's going to happen. But if you don't really, really want it, why is heaven going to race that resource on someone who doesn't really want it? See, he'll, heaven's patient. It'll wait till you want it. And then it'll make it happen for you. See? So, you know, if you really want to be an athlete, you'll probably become an athlete. If you really want the vision of the saints, well, you'll get that too. If you really, really, really want it. So you got to be really honest. What do you want? But whatever you want, bring humanity to it. You know, whatever you want. You don't have to have, have this high vision. It's not necessary. Just wherever you are, whatever you want, bring real humanity to it. And then you're practicing yoga. Okay, I think I've said enough. <laughs> I might have said too much. <laughs> Any ideas or, or thoughts? I don't know how much time, what time is going by. 11.53. You know, uh, that, that notice went out. Uh, there's a, a saint, uh, Sri M, will be coming to the area uh, very soon. Uh, we sent that, that out uh, this coming Saturday. Uh, you can go over to Raul's house here in Berkeley. Uh, does, it, does everybody have that? I, I sent it out to everybody. I don't know if you've got that. She's coming with me. Okay, and good. Good. I want you all to go. You know, if you can possibly make it go, also at uh, Christina's house, he'll be there, uh, I believe, Friday at 5.30. Um, if you can make it go. This guy is, is the genuine, genuine deal. You know, this is the law of association. You become like what you associate with. And with a saint, even if you associate with them a moment, something comes away with you. Some of that vision, some of that sanctity, a little seed of it comes along with you. So really take advantage of these opportunities. Don't never, there's no such thing as successful yogi that said tomorrow. You know, get it done today. If it's important, you do it now. You know, there's no manana in our business. If it's important, you take care of it. You take care of business. You know, tomorrow, who knows? You know, who knows? You may not be here tomorrow, but take care of it. So this is an opportunity that's coming up. So I want you to really uh, embrace that. And, and some, of, some of these people have, uh, just went to a workshop with him. And I'm, I'm not a big guy on endorsing because most people are full of baloney in, in the yoga world, especially in the Western yoga world, most of them are full of baloney. But every now and then you have the genuine items come through. And this guy's a genuine item. He's, you know, He's invested his life in the yoga process. He's had the blessings of, of saints and masters, and uh, you know, he's living his own very unique and wonderful life. You know, he's not coming with a lot of pomp and majesty, just a humble servant of God, and, and that's what you want to. That's what you want to get next to. Many of you have seen Ramamata. Maybe some of you have seen my master Santa Shavaras. You know, they come quietly, humbly. You know, with all the glory of God in their hearts, you know. <laughs> but a lot of times we think, oh, a person must be up on a grand stage with pomp and regalness and all of that. They must be something. Oh, read the lives of saints. Most of them were walking around, you know, humble, living their lives. Read the lives of saints. And 
Every now and then, some saints have great pageantry. But they're the exception to the rule. You know? They're the exception. Most of the great saints of, him, of, of the world have been humble people living in their village, living in their city, and living deeply sanctified lives. Most of them did not have become like a king or regal. Some of them did, but they're, they're the exception. Most of the saints, simple, simple people living profoundly sanctified lives, lives based on revelation. See? They, they had every kind of job, shoemakers, singers, carpenters. They, they had all these humble jobs. You know, they weren't like this King Regal. Every now and then you have a Regal King who, who actually is a saint. But 99% of them is just a humble person working with a profoundly sanctified heart, a, a life of revelation. See? So don't think when, when you travel through America, you see a, a crowd of a thousand people. Don't necessarily think that that person up there is anything. They could just be a great con man. And many of the teachers who have come to America and many of the teachers who have been generated in America are absolute frauds. And they'll have a thousand people going, Oh, Guru Dave. If you could see what I could see, you'd throw up. Most of them, complete frauds. Complete frauds. Some of them are real, but most of them, they're not worth the sandals on their feet in terms of spirituality. But they know how to empty your pockets. You know? <laughs> you know, they're false teachers. So find the truth in your heart. Read the scriptures. The scriptures are like a road map to the kingdom. So why aren't you reading them? You know, so start, you know, start where you are and, and try to find <coughs> true meaning and live that out. And then as you're looking for true meaning in your heart, honest true meaning, honest humanity, then you're going to find it out there. But if you can't find it here, you're not going to see it there. You're going to see some distortion out there. So this, this, is, this is the thing. And, and, and really, uh, you come to our Dharma teachers because that's just like a get real moment. Because they're like the one person who's going to try to, to the very best of their ability, tell you the truth. Most people are going to say, oh, she's so sweet, I don't want to hurt her feelings. Or, oh, she's so sweet, or he's so sweet, I don't want to lose their friendship. Well, we're not like that. You know, whether you come, you go, God bless you. You know, you love us, you hate us, God bless you. You know, we don't care. You know, we're in the business of telling the truth. We try to tell it kindly, but we're going to tell you the truth. You know? And that's why you come to people like us. You know, we, we just want you to get well. We want you to be healthy. We don't want you to invest in your bondages. See? So, as we're, so many of your friends, they've got other investments in you. Like, I don't want to lose a friendship, or I don't want to lose a companionship, or I don't want to lose this. You know, it, it's, it's compromised. With a real Dharma teacher, it's not compromised. They're, they're just, you're just going to a truth teller. A truth teller who really, who really wants your best interest, regardless of how you uh, react or relate to them, you know. You know, we're, we're going to say God bless you, whether you love us or whether you hate us, you know, whether you're coming or whether you're going, you know. But while we're together, we want it based on truth. You know, that's the deal. It's based on truth. You know, 
we, we have no investment, you know. Uh, there's no investment. We don't want your money. We don't want your love. We don't need it. What we want is the truth. And we want wholeness. We want everyone to be whole. See? Not broken and fractured. So that's what that that's the deal. That's the relationship. You know, somebody in your life's gotta be a truth teller. <laughs> Without any strings. You know? So that you know some people can deal with that, some people can't. <laughs> so you know, you come to real Dharma teachers when you're ready. When you're ready for a real truthful friendship, you know, with no strings attached. You know. So it's coming to a hot pot. Because <laughs> all the, it's let's it's like let's put aside all the baloney. Let's get real about what humanity is about and how you're living it, how I'm living it, you know. That's that's what we discuss. You know, that's what our discussion is. You know, even if we tell a joke, that joke is not just a joke. It's always to lighten you up so they can part the seas of your baloney to get to the truth. You know, the the, do, the gurus are always working. They're always working. Even if they're sleeping, they're working because it, it, the, the, their life is based on bringing about truth and bringing about revelation. Not about telling you stories, but what is native to your heart and native to life itself. That's always the story, you know? Any questions, ideas? You've been so quiet today. <laughs> so, uh, I'm sorry if this was a little bit, little bit you know, head bashing, but it's, it's, it's actually done with love, you know? Sometimes, you know, the, the teacher holds a flower in one hand and a fire in the other, and it's like, whatever you need, we're going to give you. You know, some people need the fire to blow, burn away their baloney, and some people will just come by the fragrance of a flower. We don't care. It's, it's like, whatever you need. You know, do you need surgery, or do you need homeopathy? We don't care. You know, whatever gets you well. <laughs> so that's, that's sort of how it works. Any questions, ideas? Reflections. Are you, everyone is like mute. Uh. <laughs> like, oh my God, I gotta get out of here. <laughs> no, no, no commentary from the from the from the folks. Then, what every civilized person will do is we'll chant the Om and serve tea. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody will be cooled out. I guess a little bit of fire today. But necessary fire, healing fire. You know, fire doesn't only burn your house down, it can warm your house too. You know. <laughs> you know? Anyway, it was a long way around getting back to lifestyle. So we'll we'll chant home three times. Take a deep breath in.
gently open your eyes. Thanks.